you're wondering who that guy was with the guitar, that's our new music intern. And uh, you can read all about him in the back of your bulletin. His name's Aaron. He's going to be working with uh, Edward this summer to get some practical ministry experience. So you'll be seeing more of him. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. Finally made it to Luke 5. I know some of you never thought we were ever going to get there, but sometimes miracles happen, even at Calvary Bible Church. In 1981, I was a commercial fisherman, and uh, I was uh, based out of uh, Oahu, Pier 54, the Dole Pineapple Pier, and uh, Hawaii, and our boat was a 65-foot well-backed schooner called the Archer. And uh, in the wintertime, we would go out and fish along the Hawaiian chain between Oahu and Midway Island. We would run usually three days and nights to get out to where we would start fishing, and then we'd fish out there and come back. The problem with fishing in the winter is that there are these incredible storms that keep cycling down in, through that area. And so constantly the weather was very rough and uh, sometimes it was so rough that we couldn't fish. We would just find a reef, anchor behind the reef and just, you know, thrash about uh, for days sometimes waiting for these huge storms to blow by. Well, this to complicate things, when you're fishing and trying to catch fresh fish for the fresh fish market you catch the fish put them on ice and you can only keep them 14 days and then they start turning into fish emulsion and so it was important that once you started catching fish you got back in time where our captain had the conviction that 11 days was the longest we were ever going to have any fish because he didn't ever want to come in have some bad fish and have his reputation marred and so um 11 days was all we had well this was the risk sometimes you would go out you would start catching fish and then a big storm would come and you'd had fish, some fish in the hold, not enough to pay for your expenses, but then you would have to endure this storm. And it could possibly be that you would have to, sometimes the fish would just, you know, you couldn't even get back in time if the storm was too severe, but this happened periodically, things like this, you would go out and, you know, we'd hear of different boats. Uh, one, one boat uh, actually sunk out there. And so we were we were out there one time on a trip, and that is exactly what happened. We had fished for two days, and then this huge storm came by. And we thrashed around in the water uh, for four days and nights, waiting for the storm to pass by. And finally, it did pass by, but we only had six hours to fish. And our hold was basically empty. We had these fish we had caught early on, but not enough to pay the expenses. And so I asked the captain, I said, you know, what are we going to do? And he says, you know what? I've got this idea. He says, it's actually not my idea. I was talking to this old fisherman about a year ago. And he told me this story. And I said, well, what is it? And he says, well, this is the story. He's told me that somewhere around these reefs are these huge schools of fish called white olua and he says they they swim around in these giant packs like you know wolves and they're like big piranhas and he says if you drag a fish behind your boat they will begin to attack it and then he says what happens is, is you start chumming squid over the side and then they come around your boat you anchor and he's and, and the old man told me that you could catch every single one of them in the school and i said sure and he goes yeah that's what i was saying but he says you know what Let's give it a try. So we said, okay. So we start trolling this big fish behind the boat. And sure enough, there's something back there attacking it. And at first, well, it's probably sharks. So we started throwing squid over, dropped the anchor. And pretty soon, our entire boat was surrounded by this giant school of white alua. And for three hours, we caught fish like you have never seen. And it, we caught every last one of them. And caught 3,500 pounds of white alua. And uh, we got them all iced in the hold. And we got back to port in time well enough to pay for our expenses. And, you know, when we were going back, we kept talking about the old fisherman. And how we thought he didn't know what he was talking about. But in reality, we didn't know what we were talking about. And in the text this morning, we come to a very similar situation where Jesus, the carpenter, 
is going to deal with some expert fishermen. And we are going to see how a fisherman fishes for fishermen with fish. And so if you have your Bibles, look at Luke 5. And we are going to engage the text, but I just need to clear up one bit of confusion. A lot of times when you look at Luke 5, you might think that this is when Jesus first called the fishermen disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And it becomes confusing if you compare Luke 5 with Matthew 4 and Mark 1. Now, what happens is this Matthew 4 and Mark 1 record a different calling of these same men. And let me just explain this, because if you've ever studied this, you might have been confused trying to put these two accounts together. Well, you can't because they're different. This is what happened. We remember, we've already learned that Jesus was in Nazareth. He was teaching there, right? And and they rejected him. And so he left north East, he headed off for um, Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Well, as he gets to the area of Capernaum, he is going by the sea. And that is when he first encounters James and John and Peter and Andrew, who are commercial fishermen. there at the lake fishing. He calls them and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That is recorded in Matthew 4 and Mark 1. So what happens is, is they then go into Capernaum. And while they are at Capernaum, then that is when Jesus teaches in the synagogue. We've learned about that. Heals the demon-possessed man. We've learned about that. Goes to Peter's mother-in-law, Peter's house. Heals his mother-in-law. We've heard about that. Does the healing service. We've read about that. But what happens is, is after that happens, Jesus sneaks off to pray. We learned about that. And finally, the disciples wonder where he is. They go search for him. They find him and say, hey, come on back and start up the healing service. And Jesus says, sorry, I've got to go. God sent me to preach. I must preach the gospel to the other cities also. And they said, okay. And they went back fishing. And that is where our text takes up. Jesus is going to leave to preach to other cities also, but his followers aren't following. They've gone back to fishing. And so from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, I want to show you four important principles from Jesus' response and the response of the disciples to this miracle that he causes to happen so that they can learn some important lessons. And they're the same lessons that we can learn too. The first is this. You need to let God speak. Look at verses 1 through 3, and it says this. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, And listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the one of the boats, which was Simon's or Peter's and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Now, there is something very clear in these verses, something that we have seen already over and over again. So I'm not going to beat it uh, into dust, but we want to just point it out. And that is this. Jesus, when he was teaching, was teaching and preaching the word of God. This group of people were looking for him. Jesus says, sorry, I'm going to be leaving. But he has to go down and recapture his followers who have now gone back to fishing. The mob falls, follows him because he's done all this healing and they want to get near him. And so he's standing in this mass of people. And what is he teaching them? The word of God. And we have seen this before in Luke 3, 3, when John the Baptist came preaching in Luke three eighteen, when John the Baptist, says, preach the gospel in four fifteen, when Jesus started his ministry, teaching the word of God in four eighteen, it was prophesied that Jesus would come and preach the gospel in four thirty one and thirty two. Luke tells us that Jesus was teaching in verses forty three and forty four. The text says Jesus was sent to preach and that it was the primary purpose of his earthly ministry to go about preaching. Now. Why do we point this out? 
again. And if you look and you say, well, Jack, look how many times we've already talked about this in these two chapters. And that's the point. It appears over and over and over and over again. And it's going to keep appearing over again. Why? Why? Why didn't Jesus just go about you know, telling jokes and anecdotes? Why didn't he just go about you know, doing pantomimes? You know, why a constant preaching and teaching of the word of God? And this is the lesson that you, we all need to learn. And it's this. God A God-glorifying life and ministry always flows from the perpetual and continual teaching and preaching of God's word. And I know that maybe you might be sitting out there thinking, Jack, we have heard this so many times. Well, we need to hear it again because it's here. The amazing thing is that most churches in America, most churches in the world right now are de-emphasizing the preaching and teaching of God's word. You can go to churches, you know, when you're on vacation this summer, go to a strange church and discover what reality is in most churches. This little tiny microscopic thing they call a sermon where people, you wonder, was that the sermon or what? And they replace it with all sorts of shallow music and entertainment and pop psychology and drama and all sorts of things. But listen, When you de-emphasize the word of God, you gag God. And that's the problem. See, if you're going to have a successful ministry, if you're going to have a successful life, God has to be able to speak. I mean, God needs to be able to tell his church what he wants his church doing, right? And not only that, God needs to be able to tell you, if you're married, how to have a good marriage that glorifies him. And if you're worshiping on Sunday morning, God needs to have a say in how you worship. He wants to have a say in how you're a student and how you're a businessman and how you're in everything else. And when we don't constantly stay in the word, when we don't constantly preach and teach the scriptures in the church, what happens is, is we gag God and he doesn't like it. And that's why when we see Jesus, he goes about preaching and teaching The word of God, because that is where the power is to save people. You don't preach the word. No one gets saved. You don't preach the word. No one gets sanctified. You don't preach the word. You can't offer up acceptable worship. You don't preach the word. You can't do anything else. The list goes on and on. Why? Because God word gives us what we need from God, it's his way of speaking to us so that we can understand what he wants us to do in all the different areas of our life. And so this is what we see again from Jesus. Now, the account here tells us something interesting because as Jesus goes back to try and recapture his, quote, followers, there's a problem. This mob is around him and he goes, you know, it's I need to teach these people, preach the word of God to them. But I don't know if you've ever done this. I have tried this. If you've ever tried preaching to a group of people that are all around you, it is very difficult. And it's difficult because you can only speak in one direction at one time. And not only that, the people behind you can't see you and they can't hear you. And if you spun around like this as you talked and you didn't have a mic, what would happen is, is people would get fractions of what you were saying. And so it's very difficult to preach to a group of people. Worse, it's hard to preach outside because the sound tends to just go away. I don't know if any of you were at Chris Kewen's wedding. He was one of our interns a couple years back. Well, Chris got married at Dana Point on this bluff over the ocean. And the problem is, is there was, you know, about 300 people there. And there was no mic And so I said, well, do you want to hear it or do you want everybody else to hear it? Because if you want everybody else to hear it, I'm going to have to yell in your face. (laughs) And so they said, go ahead and yell in our face. And so there I was yelling at the top of my lungs. We're gathered here trying to make the people in the back row hear as the wind blew there by the beach. 
And so Jesus knows this is going on. And what is brilliant is, is we see Jesus's wisdom here as the creator because he understands geography. He understands physics. He understands sound waves. And he sees a boat and he goes, Peter, Simon, why don't you take me out a little way from shore here? Drop anchor so I can teach the people from the boat. And this is what happens when you're in the water. Whenever you're in the water, and you know this if you're a float tube fisherman, and I do, is that when you speak, your voice bounces off the water. And it actually amplifies it. It actually bounces off because the water is is flexible. So when you speak, the sound waves amplify off the water. Not only that, but... You have the people on the shore, which rises gradually, which is the perfect way to speak to somebody. Amphitheaters, it makes a natural amphitheater. So Jesus gets out on the boat. Now he's, everybody's facing him. Now his voice is amplified and the people are able to hear him teach. And so he teaches and teaches and teaches. But the lesson you need to learn here is this. You need to constantly be in the word. When you're developing a ministry, be in the word. When you're trying to decide what to do, be in the word. When you have a problem, be in the word. They have marriage difficulties, in the word. Sin problems, the word. How to be a good employee, the word. Be in the word. The second thing we learn from the text is this. Look in verses 4 through 7, that you need to trust in Jesus. Now it really starts getting good. When he had finished, the text says, speaking, he said to Simon... Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now you need to know something here. Here you've got the expert fisherman, Peter. And he's looking at Jesus the carpenter. And you know, professional fishermen don't like carpenters telling them how to do fishing. Peter knew that he and his partners were expert fishermen and that Jesus was not. Peter also knew from years of experience, maybe even generations of experience, That the fish in the Sea of Galilee came up to the shallows at night to feed and then retreated to the deeper parts of the lake at night. It was daytime. Peter knew that it was futile to even try to catch fish in the shallows during the day. Because the fish would all be out in the deep. Peter also knew he had been fishing all night and the fish weren't around there. Peter also knew that he had just finished cleaning his nets. And that if they went out and threw them out again, they'd get a whole bunch of moss and twigs and trash from the bottom. And then they'd be sitting out there in the sun, you know, half the day picking goo out of their nets. And he didn't want to do that. And so he tells Jesus, you know, Lord, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. And Jesus probably looked at him and said, but hey, you know, you're the master. We'll throw him out. And he's probably looking at his buddies like, okay, I guess we got to humor him. (laughs) Look at verse six. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. Now a net had weights on the bottom, floats on the top. A boat would tie a rope onto one end, or you could do it with two boats, tie a rope onto one end, lay the net, the bottom would sink, the top would float. Then you'd begin to pull in the other end into a semicircle and eventually into a purse, and you would catch everything that was in the middle. As you begin to draw the net up, More and more of the water space would be taken out and whatever was in there would be condensed into the middle. That's what's going on here. And the text says they didn't just catch fish. They didn't just catch a quantity of fish, but they enclosed a great quantity 
of fish. Peter and his helpers were tired. They'd been fishing all night. They just finished cleaning the nets. This carpenter, Gringo, from Nazareth tells them, you know, go out and and throw it out again. And they're thinking, oh, brother. And so they do. Well, we'll humor him. I mean, the guy did do some miracles, and he's a good teacher. So let's, let's pull in the net. And as they begin to pull it in, they see little flashes down there. And being fishermen, they think, whoa, 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 what's that? So they start pulling faster. And pretty soon, there is this huge mass of wriggling fish all condensed in the center of this net. And you can imagine what's happened. They begin to scream and yell because that's what fishermen do when they start getting them. And they're pulling in the nets and they're flopping around. And all of a sudden, Peter realizes, whoa, man, we've got a huge catch here. And he sees his net is starting to break. And that's one thing you don't want to have happen when you're fishing is your fish to get away. So look at verse seven. So they signal to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. Now, this is uh, this is uh, um James and John, this Peter and Andrew are probably working this thing with Jesus. He says, come on, help us. And they came and look at what the text says. They filled both the boats. Just get this in your mind here. Jesus is sitting in the boat with Peter. Peter is pulling in this net just mashed with fish and him and his buddies are just scooping the fish into the boat as fast as they can. The boat is starting to fill up with these flapping, bleeding, slimy fish and they're flicking goo all over the place. And they're laughing and they're screaming and pretty soon their boats are about ready to sink and the little waves are starting to pour into their boats and they go, man, we got to get into shore. And I could just see Jesus sitting there helping throw fish in. Okay, so I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a carpenter. He's throwing in the fish. Now, what was he trying to teach Peter here? And John and James and Andrew. Listen, you need to trust me. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. You see, it's hard to trust people. When you think you know better than they do, right? When you're the expert and they're not. When you don't know them very well, but you know you and you know the fish. But Jesus wanted to get across to them that he could be trusted, that they needed to realize that he was not just some seed picker. He was God Almighty in the boat, Lord of fish. And they needed to learn that. They needed to learn that. You see, Peter understood fishing correctly. That was fine. Peter's knowledge of fishing was correct. It wasn't errant. But what Peter didn't know that he thought he knew was Jesus. He didn't know Jesus like he should have. He didn't know Jesus was the creator of heaven and earth. And that Jesus was incarnate and sitting in his boat. And the lesson we need to learn from this, and I think the lesson Jesus was teaching Peter and these guys were, listen, you need to trust me. I know you you have a great experience here, and that's good. But when you follow me, you just need to do what I say. And look it. Did it turn out okay? You bet it turned out okay. You know, I trust the roof of this building is not going to follow me right now. And that's why I'm here. But you know what? If I thought this building was going to fall down, I wouldn't be here. So I trust that it's up there and it's not going to fall down on me at this moment. And I'm sure if you thought it was going to fall down on you, you wouldn't be here. You see, trust is a necessary component of faith. When you believe in something or someone like Jesus, you're not just saying, I believe in his existence. What you're saying is, I believe in him so that I am willing to trust him. That means obey him. That means follow him. And that's what you're supposed to do. That's what God wants you to do. That's what Jesus wanted Peter, James, and John to do. Follow me. Not just for a day in Capernaum. I'm talking, follow me. Period. And as you grow in the Lord, one thing you realize is 
You need to trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And we call that the children's song, but it's really the adult Christian song too. It's our song. We need to sing it. We need to believe it. We need to do it. Trust in Jesus. You know, there may be times in your life when you think, you know, this isn't right. I know what the Bible says, but I just don't think this is right. You know, I know the Bible says this, but if we do this, then we're going to have these consequences. And so maybe we shouldn't do what God says. And that's an unwillingness to trust God. Whenever you know what the scriptures say and whenever you have God speak to you through his word and you say to yourself, "Mm, you're not trusting God. But you need to do what Peter did, except not even complain about it and just trust God completely. And that is what Jesus teaches them here. Peter learned that he needed to trust Jesus and we need to learn that we need to trust Jesus in every area of our life. Even when we think we know better, even though when we're experts, we look at God's word. He tells us what to do and we do it. You do that. You're well on your way to having a happy life. Third, you need to seek to minister to people where they are at. This is what's incredible to me. I just, man, I just tune in here. You know, Jesus could have just told Peter, Peter, listen, I'm God incarnate. I'm all powerful, all knowing, almighty. Hey, just come follow me and get with it. You could have told him that. That would have been, you know, true. But that's not what he does, does it? Does he? He he goes to these fishermen on their turf, in their boat, and does a miracle of their kind. Consider how Jesus tries to impact these fishermen by meeting them in the very element of their expertise. Look at verses 8 and 9. And when Peter, it says, but when Peter or Simon Peter saw that, that is the huge catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, just stop there for a minute. Did you see that? Did you see what what Jesus taught Peter there? I am Lord. Notice Peter says it twice. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Lord. The other thing Jesus taught Peter is he is a sinner. And this always happens when people encounter God. When you get close to God and you realize you're in the presence of God, the first thing you think about is, I am a sinner. And so Peter got the message. It's kind of like when the people were on Mount Sinai. You remember what happened in Exodus 20, verse 19, when they're up on the hill and, and, uh, and God says, okay, you know, you can gather on the base of the mountain and, and I'm going to come down. I'm going to speak to you. But first, consecrate yourself. So all the people of Israel all consecrate themselves. They all get ready to meet God. And God tells Moses, I'm going to come down and I'm going to speak to the people directly. That was exciting, they thought. And so they all got consecrated. They all got or gathered around the base of the mountain. And then the mountain, this dark cloud descended and there was fire and the earth shook. And God spoke to the people directly, the Ten Commandments, so that the whole nation heard him, God Almighty, speak to them verbally with their own ears. And then you remember what they said? Moses, you speak to us. And let God speak to you. Don't let God speak to us anymore or we'll die. And that's the the very same response that Peter has here, isn't it? He is so convicted, so struck through by even the the thoughts he had about Jesus. Now, he doesn't know what he's talking about. There's no fish out there. Just even his, just maybe some microscopic disdain or scoffing that he has in his heart towards Jesus, thinking he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's just struck through to where he just wants to, he just tells Jesus, Get away from me. I, I am a sinner, man. You don't, you don't even want to be around me. But notice that the miracle was so personal that it just 
ran him through. And Jesus didn't have to do this. Look at verse 9. Not, it, this didn't just happen to Peter. Verse 9 says, For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish. Notice why they were amazed and why they were seized with amazement because of the catch of fish, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus had called these men and said, follow me. And they said, okay. And they did for a day or two. And they went back to fishing. Now he hammers them with a fishing miracle. Knowing that these guys are fishermen, they can relate to fishing. I will do a fishing miracle and I will get the point across. They need to trust me. I'm Lord. They need to follow me. And this is how Jesus fishes for fishermen with fish. He performs a custom fishing miracle just for them to teach them a lesson. And I think the great part of this is that it teaches us that when we minister to each other, we need to do the same thing. You know, I could come up to you and talk to you about, you know, theological things that you know would probably bend your mind and it's not because i'm smart it's just that i've learned a whole bunch of big terms so i could come up to you and talk to you about you know the order of the divine decrees and whether you know you're a super lapsarianist or a sublapsarianist you know whether you're a reformed calvinist or pre-tribulation post-tribulation you know whatever there's all these terms that we can throw out, and I'm sure they could speak over your head, but that doesn't help you. Now, that's easy for me, but it's not easy for you. And so when I minister to you, I want you to understand. I want you to relate. I want you to see how the word of God applies your life. But when you minister to other people, you need to do the same thing. Don't expect them to come up to your level. You go down to theirs. That's what we see Jesus doing here. These guys didn't know him very well. They were just figuring out who he was. And so Jesus says, okay, he's got some fishermen here. They're really into fishing. Let me just do a little fishing miracle here. Kind of meet them where they're at. Oh, man, and it met them where they're at. Listen, if Jesus would have done this miracle for a farmer, he would have been out in the boat with Jesus and said, whoa, look at the fish. Ha, ha, ha. And that would have been it. We caught a lot of them. But see, a farmer doesn't know the habits of fish. He doesn't know the history of fish. He doesn't have the experience of fish. He doesn't know they're in the deep water instead of the shallow water at this time of day. He doesn't know all of that. And so the miracle would have been impressive, but it wouldn't have had near the impact as it does on the fishermen because they know better. Look at verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear from now on you will be catching men. Peter is just blown away. He is so convicted. He's shamed. And he just tells the Lord, Lord, get away from me. He realizes that, you know, Jesus is sovereign over the fish. And he's so humbled. And he's like Daniel and Moses and Isaiah who all saw the Lord and just hit the dirt. It just get away, get away. And Jesus, this is great. You can see the compassion of Jesus. Jesus says to him, Simon, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not judging you. Here, you aren't going into hell. I'm not even going to tell you you can't fish anymore. You can still fish. It just won't be for fish anymore. You're just going to be fishing men, for fishing for men. He uses the phrase, you will be catching men. That word means to catch alive. You will be catching men alive, Peter. That's what you're going to be doing from now on. I am going to make you a fisher of men. And so the lesson we learn here is when we're ministering to others, try and minister to to people where they're at. If they're a young believer, don't expect them to know everything an old believer does. You know, if they don't know the Bible very well, don't don't pick on them because they don't just say, hey. This is what the Bible says, and this is what it means, and answer the question. You know, periodically I get together with the techie guys because I'm the elder over technology. I don't know how that happened, but um, I am. So I get together with these techie guys, and, uh, you know, they do the server and the sound and all this stuff. And, and when we're talking about what we're trying to do, they always speak down to me and help me, you know. 
Jack, this is a server. That is a box that's in the closet in the back. The wires come into that. Now, firewall is, and they use simile and metaphor, so I can go, oh, oh. But then when they turn and face each other, then they launch up into a whole stratosphere of anacronyms and letters and numbers that I cannot even relate to. And then they turn back and go, what we're talking about, it's kind of like, and see, I need that. And don't you need that? Yeah. And so when we're ministering to each other, we need to learn what Jesus does here. He comes down and he meets the disciples at their level, at the area that's going to impact them the most because he loves them. He wants to see God's word strike them through thoroughly. And so he comes down at their level. He does a fishing miracle and it just lays them out. And they learn the lesson. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of the fish. I need to do what he says. I can trust him. I need to follow. And that leads us to our next point. You need to submit to God's calling for your life. If Jesus had already told them, follow me. And they went back to fishing. And so Jesus has to do this little custom harpoon of a miracle to drive through them that he's not talking about a day or two days he wants them to keep on following him and to keep on catching men not fish look at verse 11 and when they had brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him Now, just get that in your mind. They've got these two boats heaped full of fish and their nets, probably with some fish in it. And they pull them up as best they can the shore. They rinse off their hands and they leave. They walk away from their profession, from their equipment, from their gear. And they follow Jesus. And you and I need to realize that these guys didn't go fishing again until three years later when they kind of forgot this lesson. Turn to John 21. John 21. Now what happens is, is they follow Jesus around for three years, right? They don't go fishing. They follow him around for three years. They hear him teach. Finally, he's falsely accused. He's crucified. They bury him. Third day, he rises again. He appears to a couple of the disciples at the tomb. He appears to them in in a group a couple different times. And even before Jesus died, before he was crucified, he told his disciples in Matthew 26, 31 to go to Galilee where he would meet them again. Then we know that after he rose from the dead, according to Matthew 28, verse seven, that an angel appeared and told the disciples the same thing. Go to Galilee and wait for the Lord there. Then Jesus tells them again in Matthew 28, 10, when he appears to them, and again in verse 16, to go to Galilee and to wait at a specific mountain until he shows up again. So they've only been told four times, miraculously so, to go to Galilee, to go to a specific mountain, and to hang out and wait for Jesus to come to them. And so they do. They go there. And they wait around. We don't know how long. They're waiting. They're waiting on the mountain. What are we doing here? Finally, they start grumbling. Oh, we're going to have to wait for forever. I don't think Jesus is coming back. You know, I, you know, I'm glad he rose from the dead, but obviously he's not here. I mean, he, listen, if he was, you know, risen from the dead, he could be here anytime he wanted. And he's not here. So something happens. Look at John 21.3. So Simon Peter said... To them, the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And six other disciples followed him. I'm going fishing. And, you know, it doesn't say here, but, you know, you don't just get to go down and go fishing. 
you have to get your gear together. So they must have got gear together and a boat and stuff together. And finally, they're ready to go. Night comes. They go out into the lake to catch some fish. And they fish all night long and they don't catch anything. And what's interesting is the last time they fished, they fished all night long and didn't catch anything. Now, they're on their way back in tired after having fished all night. And I'm sure out of shape since they haven't fished in three years. They're beat. And as they're coming in, as day is breaking, look at verse four. Jesus stood on the beach, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So they're coming in. They see this guy and notice what Jesus says to them. Children, you do not have any fish, do you? Now, there's one thing you don't want to have to answer. And that's a question like that when you don't have fish and you're a commercial fisherman. You've been fishing all night, a whole group of you. And then there's this wise guy on the shore. Hey, you don't have any fish, do you? You see, there's this incredible irony here because Jesus purposely commanded all the fish to stay away from them. So they couldn't catch any. And then look at their answer at the end of verse five. No. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. And, you know, I'm sure at this time they're thinking, who is this guy? And we don't know exactly when it started to happen, but somewhere right about now, their memories are starting to be jogged. And they throw the nets over and they start bringing them in. Look at the end of verse six. So they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And that was it. That was it. John, who calls himself in verse seven, the disciple whom Jesus loved, finally got a clue. He goes back. Let's see. Three years ago, I was fishing. Three years ago, I was fishing all night. Three years ago, I was fishing all night. The day after Jesus told me to follow him and I disobeyed. And three years ago, I fished all night. I caught nothing. And on the way in, when I didn't know who Jesus was, he told me to cast the nets out, which I thought was futile. I did. And I caught a huge quantity of fish. Hello, Peter. He says, it's the Lord. And Peter heard it. Heard that it was the Lord. He put his outward garment on because he was stripped for work and threw himself into the ocean. He starts swimming for the, the shore. The other disciples, they call in. They can't even get up. They don't even bother to put them in the boat. They finally get this big clot of fish to the shore. And John counts them. You can always tell that these guys were fishermen. John was a fisherman because he doesn't just say there were 150. He says there was 153. Because he's a fisherman and fishermen always count exactly. And so the, the other disciples are dragging this big net probably through the shallow waters of the lake towards Peter and Jesus. Jesus is standing on the beach. He's got a little fire going. Some fish on it. Some bread, which he spoke into existence ex nihilo out of nothing. And they come. And he says this in verse 10. Bring some of your fish, which you have now caught. And the whole idea is this. Listen, these are the ones I spoke into existence, just like the ancestors of the fish that you have now caught. Now you take some of your fish and you put them next to my fish. Now. Verse 11 says, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish. And it tells how many they were. In verse 12, Jesus says, come have breakfast. So they sit down and have breakfast, but no one dared question him. It says, because they all knew that it was the Lord, but they didn't want to say. Why? Because they were shamed. Because Jesus told them 
three times and sent an angel to tell them one time, go to Galilee to this specific mountain and wait there. And they didn't do it. And now they're all kind of sitting around nibbling on their fish with their heads hanging low. And do you see the parallels here? I mean, it's the exact same thing. They're both called. They both disobey. They go back to fishing. They don't catch anything all night. Jesus appears, tells them what to do. They don't like it. They do it anyways. They catch a huge quantity of fish. They're both convicted in both accounts. They're both convicted of their sin. He does the exact same miracle to the exact same group of fishermen so that they would learn the same lesson they needed to learn before. But this time he does something different. He knows that Peter was the instigator of this rebellion. And so he decides to take Peter out behind the verbal woodshed. Look at verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now, all the way through the three-year ministry, he always called him Peter, right? But notice how he calls him. He calls him the name that he had before meeting Jesus when he was a fisherman. And he uses it over and over again. Simon, the non-apostle fisherman. Do you love agapao? That is, do you have the highest kind of unconditional love for me? He says, do you love me more than these? These what? These 153 fish. And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I. And then Peter uses a little bit lower kind of love. Phileo, a brotherly. I love you with a devotion, like a brother. So he says to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus again uses agapao, the, the, the highest form of unconditional self-sacrificing love. And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Because he knows he can't even use the agapao term. He's, he's been disobeying. And then this is when Jesus lays him low. He says, Peter, do you even love me like a brother? And the text says, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you like a brother, but he couldn't. He knew he'd be a hypocrite if he used agapao. And Jesus says in between each of these, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. Tend my sheep. That's what I want you doing, Peter. Not fishing. And you know what? They all learned the lesson and everyone went back to fishing again. They all died martyrs. Lesson to learn here is this. When God calls you to some sort of whatever it is, you need to do that, whatever that calling is. Now, you may be, you may be a housewife. That's fine. It may be a fisherman. That's fine. It may be an engineer. Maybe a student. Wherever God has you, wherever he has called you right now, you need to do whatever that is with all your heart to the glory of God. And not only that, if you have been called unto salvation, if you are one of the called, the elect, if you are saved, then you also have been given spiritual gifts to minister to the body of Christ. And God has called you to exercise those gifts on behalf of the people you see here and on behalf of the rest of the body of Christ. Are you doing that? Are you following your call? Now, you may be out there and you may be sitting there thinking, well, Jack, I don't even know what my gift is. You know, I, I know I'm saved. I know I'm called that first kind, but I don't know what my other call is. I mean, I'm not a pastor and I'm not an apostle and, you know, I, I can't teach. Well, I don't I don't know what your spiritual gift is, but I know this. You have one because the Bible says you do and you need to trust God and believe it. And if you don't know what it is, then the best thing to do is start serving. Start serving in areas you're interested in first, because a lot of times when you have a desire to serve the Lord, he puts his desires in you and he 
You know, maybe you might want to try this and bulletins or whatever, technology ministries. I don't care. And ask yourself, how can I serve the Lord? How can I minister to other people? How can I fulfill God's calling for my life? That's what you need to do. That's what we all need to do. You know, I don't know what God has for me next year or the year after that. You know, I know I'm going to be teaching and preaching if I'm still alive and, you know, I'm not maimed. But hey, I don't know the future, but I know this. I know what I'm supposed to be doing now and what he's giving me now. You know, the elders tell me what to do and I do it. That's what I want to do. I just want to do what God wants me to do. You need to be that same way. You need to fulfill God's calling in your life. And, you know, sometimes it's you're, you're just your housewife. Sometimes you're just, you know, the, one of those Dilbert people in a cubicle doing this on the computer all day. That's your calling. And God wants you to do that with excellence for his glory. He wants you to witness to the guy next to you. So that guy can become the next whoever, Billy Graham or whatever. And so all of you need to be thinking about this. What is my calling? You know that Ephesians 2.10 says that you were created in Christ Jesus for good works so that you would walk in them. Are you walking in them? That's what God wants you to do. And that's what God wanted Peter and James and John and Andrew to do. And he had to go back and do the same miracle over again in the same situation over again to teach him the same lesson over again and to teach you and me the same lesson over again. Do what God wants you to do. Do what he's gifted you to do. Fulfill your calling. So as you leave here today, remember, you need to let God speak in every area of your ministry and to every area of your life. And you let him speak by opening up his word and listening to good teaching and preaching. Secondly, God wants you to trust Jesus so that you will follow wherever he may lead you. Even when you think you know better, even though it's an area of your expertise, you think, okay, now listen, uh, God's word says this, and I kind of feel this way. You do what God says. You trust him. Third, God wants you to minister to people, meeting them where they're at. When you minister to somebody, you ask yourself, not what's going to be easy on me, not what's going to be fun for me, not what's going to be convenient for me. You think of that other person as more important than yourself, and you ask yourself, how best can I help that person? grow in their walk with the Lord. How can I meet them where they're at? Just like Jesus dealt with these fishermen. Fourth, God wants you to follow him by obeying his calling for your life, whatever that might be. Do it with all your heart and do it until you die. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. I think that goes for salvation and the gifts he has given you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... What we learn from this text, what a great, great story, but greater still are the things we see from you and Jesus in this text. Father, help us all to be diligent, to learn the lessons that we have discovered here. There is even more uh, that we couldn't even go over. But Father, I just pray that as we meditate on this passage and we just think about it this next week, that we would apply the truths that we have learned to our lives, that We would learn to trust you. We would learn to obey you. We would learn to meet other people where they're at. We would learn to fulfill our calling. Father, we would learn to be the men and women you would want us to be so that we can be lights in the world and make an impact. Father, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. If you need somebody to minister to you and pray with you, we have counselors over here who would love.